And we are live back with another episode of Ask We Talk. I'm Torrin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism stage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I'm good. The sun's shining today. It's not, not where I am. I'm in, I'm in Jersey. It's just dark, overcast, rainy, snowy, and just nasty. But today, we have a special guest, someone who I've followed for at least a year on Instagram, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, Tiffany Harmon, who goes by the handle Fidgets and Fries on Instagram, mm -hmm. sort of a legend in the online autistic community. Tiffany, how are you today? I'm good. I, I don't know about legend, but I like it. <laughs> well, don't mind good. me. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, I'm Tiffany. I go by Tiff or Tiffy, pronouns she, her, hers. Um, I am the voice behind Fidgets and Fries. I'm a writer slash self-advocate slash activist slash mom slash a lot. <laughs> um, I have two kids, two boys. They're both autistic, eight and 14. Josiah, 12. And yeah. Teenagers. Teenagers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm glad I'm past those years. It was not fun. <laughs> yes. Stacy has two boys as well, but they're, they're older. They're in their 20s, right? Yes, they are going. I can't believe my oldest is going to be 25. Like, that's so April 1st. He's going to be 25. All right, so I am excited to have you here, Tiff, because I have watched you on Instagram um, and just love the little nuggets that you would put out. And of course, I try to share with my families uh, so that they can get uh, different voices, uh, not just me talking. But today, I'm excited to have you here. And as most listeners know, we don't always have like a topic. Sometimes we do have a topic that is, is driving um, the podcast, but I really would, we haven't really talked about this with any of our guests, just Torn and I have talked about it. So, and, and because of the things that you put out on your social media, um, I would love to know, we are trying to shift the narrative, right? Like that's the whole idea of this podcast for people to hear different perspectives and shift that narrative around everything autism and um, I'd like to know your viewpoint on the pros and cons of that. Is it necessary? Um, you know, you've joined us here. So I'd love your insight on, on that concept um, that drives me every day. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> look, look, you want to know the thoughts on shifting? I feel like I really can't see a negative right now, considering mm -hmm. where we're at. These mm -hmm. all. all all pros. So we're not in a spot. We're not. We're not in a good space at all. Mm -hmm. Um. So uh, making a change is is definitely the. I mean, it's the only option that we should be having right now. Because right now, where we're at, the the track that we're on, it's not. It's not at all good. Mm -hmm. So I don't see a con. I see nothing but pros, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I can't. Like, I feel like we're not, we're not in, the, we're not in a good space, and we need to get out of this space. I see little, little, um, little uh, shifts, 
little mm-hmm. tiny ones. I see um, talks about shifting, which um, is a lot better than what I saw last year. There were like no talks of shifting right? or, <laughs> or anything. Like we we were on the right path and that we were doing things right. Um, and we weren't just kind of like silencing a lot of people mm-hmm. and hiding them, um, ignoring them and letting the small select group of people scream the loudest. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was our community. That was, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was the gist of beginning. So I am definitely in 100% agreement that we need to shift because we're not, we're not where we need to be like at all. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, Torn and I talk of this often, of course, because we're trying to shift a narrative. And I want to say to both of you, I appreciate you joining me um, on this uh, sort of, I don't even know if it's a mission but it's something that I've been screaming loud about in groups, right? And it's in this classroom, in the school system, in the therapy setting. And I think the struggle is, like you said, the loudest people are heard, but then we don't have the right stuff being spoken loud enough, right? <laughs> so um, I'm loud <laughs> and I've decided, uh, you know, I have a lot to say and, and I want to have folks who have a lot to say Um, join me because uh, I truly believe that if we shift our perspective and the way we view autistic individuals in general and just view a diagnosis of autism, it will be just so much better, not only for autistic individuals, but for all of us as a community, because I truly believe, and Torin knows this, you know, my students I keep in touch with, because I truly see you know, my students who are little having something to contribute to society that is valuable. And I want everyone else to see that. And so I will stop and pause um, and let Torin chime in uh, because I, I, it's just so important. And I love that you said, you know, in reference to the loud people, right? The, the wrong messages are being spoken so loudly. Um, Torin, wh- wh- where are you on shift in the head? <laughs> It's kind of funny you started off that question. We, me and Stacy don't don't script anything, so we sort of just vibe it. And it's funny you started off that question because that's kind of where I want to start off. Um, Tiffany, you have probably one of the most nuanced comment sections mm-hmm. of any sort of social media personality in in any field, but especially in in the autism field. A uh, few over the last few weeks, you've dipped your toe into sort of the uh, ABA debate a few times with very nuanced stances. And to my shock, your comment section sort of understood the nuance for the most part versus a lot of the comment section of other large uh, autistic social media people where it's extremism, basically. If there's a lot of it. So how have you managed to cultivate an audience, a sizable audience, of people who aren't just screaming crazy shit all the time. <laughs> I was deliberate. I'm so proud of that. Like I feel like, <laughs> like, like not to my own horn, but I feel like I have the best community ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took work. Cause when mm-hmm. I, I first, I do the bulk of my advocacy and my activism offline. That hasn't changed. I still do that. So like, 
people might see me every day online and they think I'm like primarily here online, but no, I probably like Instagram and Facebook is about 10% of what I do. But I wanted it, I wanted to expand online. And so I did like so many other people when they come on. I just jumped in and I didn't have a strong, I'm not going to say I didn't have a strong message. I had a strong message. I knew what I wanted to fight for. I just didn't have the way to put it out there in the best way. So when I came online, it was like, I came on looking for the sense of community, but also be angry and lost and and just so even though I was right, I didn't fully explain everything. Like I tried to come on and I lived as fractured parts of myself. So when I came on initially, I wanted to just focus on being a mom. So I didn't focus on the autistic side of myself. I was just like, I'm just being a mom, connect with parents. Because uh, this is where I need the most help at. This is what I need. Um, and that didn't work for me. It was bad. It was just like, no one really understood what it was that I was saying. Mm-hmm. And they weren't really trying to understand what I was saying. They weren't trying to hear me. Except for those few people that started following me like, hey, she writes pretty well, you know? And I was like, I just need to reach one person. Mm-hmm. And that one person is going to send me, you know, where I need to be and reach the people that I need to reach. So I said, I'm just going to keep writing how I write. Existing whole, addressing everything, thinking about who I am total, like not just broken parts of myself and how I experience life. And those people that are here, those are the ones that need to be here. You know, those are my people. And so I, once I stopped trying to write for everyone else, mm-hmm. that's when it kind of started to change. So it was like writing for myself and others like me. And coming from my channeling that anger in a different way. And I, I needed to be the opposite of what I saw. So I didn't want to be that whole, this is bad, you're abusive, or be the parent who's just like, you don't understand. You know, I I wanted to be the opposite of what I saw. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm angry. I'm always angry. I'm still angry. I post angry all the time. But I want to write it in a way where someone can see that anger, someone can understand that. But they can still see themselves in my story. Like, and that's how I got it. It's like, I was like, I want to tell stories. I don't want to educate you on what autism is. Y'all know what it is. I'm not going to tell you about red flags and symptomology and what's a meltdown. None of that. I'm going to tell stories and you're going to see yourself in that story. And then that's how I reach you. And that's how you see me. So I see you, you see me, we Mm -hmm. connect. And so I'm sitting there, I'm writing about being Black. But I got white moms who's connected with me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they can't fully understand what it is it's like to be Black. But mm-hmm. they see pieces of themselves in their lives and their story. 
And so that's how I started to reach them. And that's how I started to make myself more human to them. And I started to make myself more real to them because a lot of them didn't understand autism in black people, mm-hmm. in women, in like, it's just like, I, for a lot of them, I'm their first one. Mm-hmm. I am their first experience with black autism, you know, and, and, and life like that. And, and so I wanted them to see me and experience what it's like to know this world as a person that's not them. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, I, I reached them. And I wanted to show that I am all these things. I took, I sat down with me and I was like, I'm a mom. I'm autistic. I have autistic kids. I'm black. I'm bisexual. I'm all of these things. I'm in a unique position to speak on so many different things and have all these people, these different bodies come together and see that they're not for all the differences that we have, we're alike in so many ways. And so I wanted to show that, highlight that, and create the community that I didn't see. So when I go to all these other major accounts, and I'm like, so all you've given me is three words. And and then so, and you're not even interacting in the comment section. So you're dropping these bombs because you know what's going to happen. And then you you leave your audience in shambles there. And you don't have no, no depth to your post. There's no, there's no help. There's no love. There's no care. There's no concern. There's nothing. It's just, let me go inflame you folks and then leave y'all and go away. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to have a community that was full of so many different people and then have them come together on it and have them work together and have them understand each other. And that took some time. <laughs> like in the beginning, it was like, you know, it was a little iffy, it was rocky, you know? And then those people, either they, they started to gain an understanding and they stuck around or they were like, I, I just don't care. I don't get it. And they left. And I'm like, well, I need the ones that want to grow and learn, that are okay with being uncomfortable with those hard feelings that they have. And I said, I want those people. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, I tried to, I tried to get. I, I went into all these spaces. I went into autism mom spaces, and I, I was like, hmm. I don't want the the mom who's stuck in the cycle of of trauma and, mm-hmm. and pain and and who's so close to martyrdom. I don't want that, mm-hmm. but I want the one that's giving them hugs. Mm-hmm. And so I went after those moms. I went after those dads. Mm-hmm. I went after those who were in their audience. I wanted those. Then I went into autistic advocate spaces. And I was like, nah, I don't want, I don't want the, the, the top one. I want the ones who look like they're uneasy with what's being said. Who's like, oh, okay. You know, like the ones who don't want to fully commit to that angle. 
I want those. And so I focused on trying to get those. And then I went for professionals. And then I went for, like, I went for every, every, every spot that I could go. And then I just built it up. Mm-hmm. And um, it turned into one amazing uh, community to where I feel safe enough to say, man, this is, you know, bad today. You know, like, it's it's just like, I, I was telling someone earlier today, like, in the past, I could have said, you know, you know, uh, doesn't go in the refrigerator, and I would have got my whole head chopped off. <laughs> but now I can sit there and say, man, y'all white people ain't doing good today. And it's the whole <laughs> different. And it's just like, man, okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're getting somewhere, you know, and I can share those hard things and I can share and, and for the most part most of them are offended by it. you know they they get it and they're having that those conversations in the comments and they're having those they even have side conversations they go off into little groups mm-hmm. and they talk and then they come back to me and they're like hey you know I started this little group and this is what we're talking about I'm like man that's amazing you know and it, and, it, and it's a it's a beautiful thing and I'm like I have one of the best communities. It's just so like, it's so diverse in thought. It's so diverse in, in body. It's so diverse in experience. It's so diverse, period. And they help one another. And when someone steps out of line, they check one another. <laughs> and I just get to sit back. And I just like, I drop these little nuggets and I like, I'm running and I just like, I read. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. It's beautiful. And I can't tell you I have a secret formula or anything. I'll just tell you what I did. And I hoped it like it like worked, um, but I guess it I guess it did, and I love I them all. I think the <laughs> secret formula is you were your authentic self, and you put in the work, and you knew exactly what you did not want, and you set your boundaries. And I think that's important um, and wonderful. It's turned out so. That's such a beautiful story. The way you've just shared that, I have to. I need to go, you, I need to look at some of your writing. I, Torin knows I'm so busy. I don't get to read anymore like I used to. I actually read more books when my children were little, like when I had babies, like that's supposed to be the time you don't have any time. But yeah, I just, you know, now I just don't really have time to sit and read. Um, but I have so many things that I want to take in. Thank you for sharing that. But I, that's what I get from it. I, I see the the secret is you were just your authentic self and you set your boundaries and you knew what you wanted. Um, and people follow that. People will follow and respect boundaries if you are your true self. I truly believe that, um, which is why I want our kids to be able to be there themselves. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, Oh my gosh, the Torian hears all my stories all the time about just everyone wanting to control what their kids play and eat. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's exhausting. Like I'm exhausted, right? Like I'm exhausted (laughs) trying to get your kiddo to eat this French fry. Like seriously, there are other things to do today. Um, Anyway, Torian? Well, one of the things that, and that was, that was dope as shit, holy crap. I love the way he said that. Uh, one of the things that I love about following you on Instagram, you're you're one of the few reasons I haven't just delayed my Instagram account because I hate Instagram, is 
you so you posted uh, a few days ago. You posted a few times about ABA, and you had such a nuanced take about. And I'm par I'm I'm badly paraphrasing, but it has it has its bads, but it also can be very helpful, especially for black autistic per- people and learning how to mimic neurotypicals because being different as a black person is dangerous. And I read that, and I before I even hit the comments, I'm like, this girl is going to get destroyed in the comments. So I was shocked when people were vibing with mm-hmm. me because in the autism community, a good way to get ostracized by everybody in the autistic autistic community is to say anything except ABA is the worst thing that's ever been created ever. <laughs> and there's no there's no nuance, no nothing. Like I've been banned from pages for even saying, yes, ABA is awful, but for example, it's the, oftentimes the only service available for poor people. And mm-hmm. I've been blocked by mostly middle class white people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. don't know who 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 never set who never spent the day in the projects who never yeah. was in a, who yeah. never been in a welfare office before like I have who never been on stamps like I was telling mm-hmm. me basically speaking on high with privilege telling me that I'm a bigot and I'm a self hating autistic person mm-hmm. so it's so refreshing to see mm-hmm. a comment section where like it, it's like re- more like real life than crazy bullshit but. Right. One of the things you, you, you talk about on Instagram is sort of you delve into a lot of intersectionality. And I want to get into that because a lot of people, A, don't even know what that is. I was, I was tell, talking to my aunt a couple of days ago. My aunt's a 66-year-old uh, white lady. I mentioned intersectionality. She goes, what the fuck is intersectionality? <laughs> and she's not like a hardcore, like conservative, like uh, speaking about, Black Lives Matter is CRT. She's not one of those people. <clears throat> Excuse me. But she, she, a lot of people don't really understand intersectionality. They just hear it and they think like woke bullshit. So could you explain <laughs> a little bit about like intersectionality and how it relates to like being autistic or being a black person? Intersectionality is like the concept of multiple oppressions that converge intersecting with one another and then they create an entirely new experience so and it's it's just oppressive identity some people feel like you know you can just have all these other ones that kind of uh cross it's a multiply multiple oppressed identities that converge together so it's not enough to say that i'm black right that intersects with being autistic that intersects with being a woman that intersects with being um bisexual that is so it's just you're just combined you're just taking every oppressed identity out there and you're throwing it in a pot storing it together and then it's creating something entirely different so i'm not experiencing life as a black man would who has no disability I'm experiencing it as a Black autistic woman. And that's an entirely different experience that needs to be explored in depth because I'm not experiencing life as someone else. So a lot of autistic people within this community, especially those within the neurodiversity movement, do not think past diagnostic presentations. They're like, you and me share a brain. And they leave it at that. 
but they don't understand that I don't experience disability as they do. So I'm confronting all of these other obstacles and all these other challenges that they know nothing about. But they feel that because we are both autistic, we're experiencing life the same. We don't even experience autism the same. Exactly. But, so, but of course. Yeah. So it's it's a lot. And some people are catching on with it. Some people are are understanding intersectionality a little more. Some are not fully understanding. They're like many critics. There are many um people who don't fully get it, who aren't fully on board with it. Um, they feel like it's too cliche. It's thrown around too much. There's no weight behind it. Um, like it lacks meat. It like it's uh, I'm trying to. They feel like it's pedestaling those who are multiply oppressed. So it's like it's flipping it around, you know. So now you know, white people are the evil ones who experience nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, they have no hardships. They have no challenges, and um, so they're critical of it from that standpoint so they feel like we're saying they don't experience any trouble any challenges and that's not what intersectionality is Mm -hmm. you know they have they have their own intersections Mm -hmm. sexuality class (laughs) socioeconomic you know um religion you know and so it's like everyone experiences some type of oppression. Um, just like everyone experiences some type of privilege. I'm privileged. You're privileged. Um, we all have some privileges. And what intersectionality does is it focuses, it highlights those oppressions as well as those privileges. It, it, it analyzes where power comes and goes, where it flows, where it ebbs and where it flows, where you have the most power and where you have none. Mm-hmm. It's looking at all of that and then it's looking at it bit by bit, piece by piece, pulling it apart and then putting it back together and then seeing what does that do? What did that change? What about your life as a Black autistic person makes you different than a white autistic person? Mm-hmm. You know, what What in there changes? No. You know? I- and, oh, sorry. <laughs> No, it's my bad. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just, I, I love that. I, I really do. And I hear a lot of, because I think there's a, I'm going to be blunt here. There's a, still an issue getting better in the autistic community with a lot of people who come from sort of upper middle class background, white people from nice neighborhoods who don't quite understand that like, be, if you're autistic, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't cancel out being black or poor or any other sort of disenfranchised group. And right. they sort of, like you mentioned, they sort of act like, well, we're all the same. And it's just not true. We have different, we have different experiences and it shapes us in different ways. Just like uh, an intersection of being female and autistic or being trans or non-binary and autistic and autistic, you're going to, you're going to experience it differently. But real, but um, how would you, let's say, let's say you're talking to my aunt or someone who thinks that, all this intersectionality stuff is woke bullshit because a lot of people do because I, yeah. I, I, I'm masochistic. So I spend way too much time watching Fox news. 
even though I completely disagree with everything they say. <laughs> How would you convince somebody that talking about the stuff, let's say you're talking to an autistic white person who thinks this is all woke nonsense. And I know a few of those people in real life. I've had a few of those people on the show, actually. How would you explain? <laughs> how would you explain to them that this is important to talk about? So it, it, if you could give me one second to pause on your answer, one second. I want to say, Torin, in defense, um, because I, I love this dialogue in terms of people accepting intersectionality and understanding it and grasping a hold of it. And I will say from your aunt's perspective and as an older person at the table today, <laughs> that I think that one of the things that's a struggle for those of us who are older is that there's a lot of new terminology that we're having to like learn and like even, even I mean, I identify as a, you know, a mom, um, a, a black woman, um, a lesbian, a speech therapist, an advocate, you know, all of these things I can put on. And even I had to learn, even working and volunteering and fighting for the LGBT plus, I think now it's LGBTQ plus rights, um, I'm still learning terminology and I'm in the community, right? And, and I had a really good discussion with my young children who are in their 20s. And I, you know, they got really angry with me because I didn't know the terminology or didn't understand <laughs> it. And I said to them, listen, I'm like, can you guys give me like an app that like updates me on all the new things I need to, because now I can't call it this and I got to call it this. And, and it's not like I don't understand why, but like, can somebody keep me up to date and not get angry, right? And, and help to educate. So I'm coming back to your answer of the key is to help people understand it. And I think that, you know, your group and the community you've built, you've built it so that people feel like they do have a learning a time to learn instead of being screamed at because you use the word word, wrong word and, and all those other things that happen on social media. And now I'm gonna let you answer the question on how you would explain it to his aunt and um, my mom, you know, uh, all this stuff that is new for, for our older brains. <laughs> okay, Boomer. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard because it's like, I don't know, I balance that. Like, because one, I don't have an infinite amount of energy. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to like channel it into different ways. So mm -hmm. a lot of times I choose to not repeat myself. You know, it depends on who it is that I'm talking to and if I feel like they're willing to learn something. Because a lot of times I waste energy on someone because they aren't really like wanting to learn something. They're wanting to debate. Yep. And so it's like, man, this is not something I'm going to take on. Mm -hmm. But I have a lot of people in my community who will take that on. Yep who will go in the comments and say, hey, if anybody wants to challenge differently something, just send it to me. Yeah. You know, I'll take your messages. I'll take your stuff. Yeah. And so a lot of times, if I can tell what your intentions are, then that's how I make the decision on whether or not I want to go into a deep dive into telling you again what this is mm -hmm. and what this is. Um, but... A lot of these things are hard. It's hard to get past someone who uh, has pretty much lived a life or an existence where the world is centered around them and they didn't actually know it was. <laughs> so, 
yeah. it's like that that's hitting them mm-hmm. that's hitting them straight in the chest it's knocking them across the room mm-hmm. because they're they a lot of them do not understand that they are the standard mm-hmm. a lot of white people do not know that they're the standard and we are living our lives according to how they exist and they don't get that and that hits them really hard to be told that because mm-hmm. they feel like i struggle too and i worked this hard for this that's my favorite is i i worked three times hard doing this and i had this many jobs and I got turned down for doing this and I got, and they don't realize they don't sit back and realize they shouldn't have had to have worked that hard mm-hmm. for that. They shouldn't have had to do what they did to get the same things that somebody else mm-hmm. got with ease. And they don't understand that. They don't understand that they have had, that they also have to fight for things they shouldn't have had to fight for. But because we live in a world and a society that that operates like, you know, you have to demonstrate you're worthy of something, of worthy of help, or worthy of assistance, or worthy of decent living conditions or anything like you have to prove that you're worthy of this. Yeah. And because we live in that world, they subscribe to that thinking. Mm-hmm. Should have had to work that hard. See, I'm not in a disagreement here. Yes, you struggle. The only thing is you're trying to justify that it's okay that you had to. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have had to. Yeah. And so that's the that's where that heart comes. And that's where it's trying to it's like intersectionality isn't about just dogging you and putting you down mm-hmm. and burying mm-hmm. you. It's explaining all of these different systems, mm-hmm. all of these different identities of which you have several that are oppressed. It's not Mm -hmm. just racial. Mm -hmm. And putting them together and combining them and seeing that you had no power here. And you feel like because you had to work all of this stuff and work this hard, that that was something that you had to do. Mm -hmm. And so to sit there and try to explain it to them in that way a lot of times they get that. A lot of times they understand it. It's, it's what's wild to me is that if you talk about everything else but the addition of race, they understand. They get there. They get there a lot faster, you know? But when you add in race, um, a lot of times ethnicity, that's where they, they stop to understand it. Mm-hmm. That's when they, they challenge you more. That's when they buck you more. That's when they're like, no, hold on. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, okay. okay. And then that's where it gets a little challenging mm-hmm. to um, explain those concepts, to explain those things. They don't, white people don't want to be seen as a standard. <laughs> they are, <laughs> like, they just are. And um, they don't want to face the realization that other racialized individuals live lives that are peripheral to theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they don't want to acknowledge that. It's mm-hmm. hard for them to, to acknowledge and to get because then they feel like um, it, it depends on who you're talking to. Some of them take that on and they feel like really horrible, really bad. And they feel like we're assigning them as being like evil or, or whatever. And then some just completely flat out mm-hmm. don't want to 
address it. They don't deny it. They want to get extra angry about it. And so that's what makes it difficult is to trying to figure out which person you're talking to, mm-hmm. what part, how are they going to react when you introduce this? And then how you cater your response to how they receive whatever it is that you have to say, mm-hmm. because everyone is different. Yeah. So everyone like, has different experiences. Exactly. So it's mm-hmm. like, how do you, and you have to figure, and that's, that's, that's what makes what I do so difficult because I don't want to give stock answers and stock responses and stock learning because everybody is receiving these messages in a different way. And they Mm -hmm. they're filtering it through their own experiences and through their own lives and stuff. So a lot of time when I first started, I tried to write for everybody else. What is this person going to understand? Where's this person? That didn't work for me. So I had, I, I have to put out things in a way that makes sense to me Mm -hmm. and that I can live with and that I can do with it Mm -hmm. and give them the opportunity to meet me where I'm at. And so most of the time people get it. And then a few of the times they don't. And I do get those that are like grandma. (laughs) And and I do figure out a way to try to um, get them to understand Mm -hmm. by explaining that that we're all privileged in some way. We all have, we are all oppressed in some ways. Mm-hmm. And we all have different experiences that link up together and create incredibly complex systems of oppression. We all have it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all complicated, you know, but there are some that will seriously some identities that will really make it really challenging and really difficult. And that's where a lot of white people stumble at Mm -hmm. because that identity right there puts them pretty high. Yeah. It puts them pretty high. And um, that's a hard thing for them to, to grasp. Yeah. And there's only so many ways you can explain that without I don't know you can, you can try to explain it in, in, in so many different ways but mm-hmm. it still boils down to that identity right there yeah it like trumps all of them yeah like all of them yeah, yeah you you might be autistic you might be trans you might be core mm-hmm. but you're still white yeah and so that's gonna yeah. put you at a <laughs> experience in life mm-hmm. way different than somebody who is literally a black man who ain't got nothing who is none of that yeah you know so (laughs) so it's like it's it's yeah it is it's (laughs) it's it's hard it's difficult and it's challenging and so and I and I always tell every once in a while like it's like when you come into this space into my space that you have to be okay with being uncomfortable yeah yeah you you have to to be all right with that Mm-hmm. because that's conversations when you're uncomfortable oh my gosh it's yeah. so much growth it's so much growth exactly. when you have those conversations yeah lots yeah. and lots of growth um you said yeah. something um you said something tiffany and it was in relation to um 
the standard, right? The standard of the white person is a standard and, and sort of, and I immediately thought that that whole autistic individuals, the standard is you have to present as a neurotypical, right? You have to meet that standard and that's being pushed in many different places um, in many different inappropriate ways. And, um, and like that just popped into my head. <laughs> It's the same sort of concept of this is what you have to do. And, you know, of course, it drives me crazy um, because I just don't agree with that. Never have um, agreed with it because I just didn't get it. But that's really insightful. I like I love the way you um, uh, admitted that there are times when you have wasted energy trying to uh, educate, right? Because when you want to educate and then you're like, oh, just like wasted all of my energy on someone who's does not have the capacity to even try to understand or, or wrap their head around anything that I just said. Um, and Tori and I, just we were just talking about that the other day when I was at a hairdresser and heard some very inappropriate <laughs> by another hairdresser. And I thought, mm, is this the time to educate? Does she have the capacity to understand, I was like, mm, not a time, gonna leave it. I, I, I yeah. hours to even try to, yeah, it was just, and you know, they were not there to learn about autism per se. Um, however, uh, yeah, I decided it wasn't worth the energy, but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, it not, it not, it, it, sometimes you just can't. And one of the things that, uh, so one of the things that I want to do is give sort of a practical example of a lot of what we're talking about. So mm -hmm. an example of how uh, different intersectionality experience the world differently, I'll use myself as an example. Stacy, in a recent training she did for her parents, showed a video of a, a girl who, an adult autistic girl, who had to get out of the car. She was driving like six hours or some long distance to her parents, and she had to get out of the car and stim, like fidget around, jump around, stuff like that in a parking lot. And even though it's a little embarrassing, she had to do it so to keep herself regulated. Now, this is a white woman. The reason that's important is because I did some shit like that. Someone would call the cops on me. Didn't matter if yes. I wasn't bothering. Someone would call the cops on me. Yeah. I get my ass shot, and about yeah. half of America would so all the Fox News all day would be a picture of me, the thuggish picture they could find. They like superimpose a do-rag over my head, a blunt in my mouth, and explain how this thug, they call me a thug. They mean black people. They call me a thug. This thug somehow deserved to be shot by the police. I literally can't stim and melt down and essentially have bad days in public because my mm -hmm. life will be in danger as a autistic black man. That is how intersectionality works. My right. autistic experience is not the same as that person. Just like my autistic experience as a man is not going to be the same as someone who's female or uh, AFAB who had to learn to mask from an early age because that's what our society expects. So I just want to give sort of a real world example. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot though, because you're also a parent. You're not only autistic yourself, but you, you're a parent to uh, two disabled children who you talk a lot about. And yeah. First, I want to know, this is a very general question. What are some of the struggles you have uh, as an autistic person raising uh, children with special needs? Uh -huh. <laughs> from being a, from a 
an autistic standpoint or just being a parent in general? Uh, both, 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 actually. Well, let's see. I guess from, from being autistic in general, it's uh, challenging because we we uh, trigger each other. <laughs> so it's it's trying to balance um, each other's triggers. Mm-hmm. And then trying to 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 keep myself together because I have to parent them. They can't parent themselves. So mm-hmm. I have to be the one to find a way to get through whatever challenges that I'm having, try and push it back and then try to and then give myself the space to be able to 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 do what I need to do when I'm in a a time when I can do it, like when I'm by myself or when my husband's home and, and stuff. But that's probably like one of the more like challenges that we we each have our different things that we do that we have to that we just have to do but a lot of times those things kind of kind of irk either one of us and we can end up triggering each other mm-hmm. that's probably one of the more um challenging things the the other is being in public or being in other spaces and kind of uh trying to figure out if you should disclose that you are as well in certain situations you know i mean my son was in the hospital not too long ago and you know my son's neurologist knows i'm autistic as well but we're talking to the to the new doctor and stuff that's in there and um he's working closely with my son's neurologist and stuff. So I'm thinking, well, he might mention it or whatever. So you disclose that. I said, so I say it, I tell them. Well, the next thing I know, I have a social worker in the room who wants to do a psych evaluation on me. Ah, <laughs> ah. It's like, you don't, it's trying to figure out when do you say something? When do you not say something? Um, how do you protect yourself? A lot of times, you know, a lot of a lot of people are like you just need to live free. And you're like, that's one of the things I don't like. You know, I it's like I want to be free. <laughs> you know, I want to experience that. I want to know what that feels like. But I cannot be free in my diagnosis. Not as a black autistic person. Not a, not as a parent. I can't be that free. Because there are, that's not the only instance where someone wanted to, to test my test my mental state mm-hmm. because I said that. So now I don't want to be feeling like I I I be cast as unfit. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Because that's my kids, you yeah. know. And so no, I can't live free. No, I can't be fully free. You know, mm-hmm. I have to 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 mask. I have to to carry autism like a backpack. You know can't be autistic today I have to have autism Mm -hmm. and I have to keep it to myself Mm -hmm. you know and that's probably one of the you know the more challenging things and it's it's complicated as a parent because you're like on one hand you like you want to to tell your child this is you are wonderful as you are you're the most beautiful person ever and your brain is just different, but you are so special and you're so unique and you're so this. And then the, and just be who you are. It's beautiful. And then the next the five minutes outside the door, you're like, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here. You can't, you know, and so it's like these mixed messages, you have to send them and you have to to show them 
because the world is not fully safe for them. Mm-hmm. And that's something I struggle with being a parent, being a uh, autistic parent, being, but definitely just being a parent in general. That, that stuff's hard. Yeah, That stuff's um, really challenging. A lot of people in this community who like to talk a lot about parents don't aren't parents. And that's what's frustrating too. It's because it's like, you don't have this type of type of connection yet. So you're not really fully understanding what it is that we're having to do and what we're having to go through. Mm-hmm. And that is a very, and it's very, very, very difficult because we are tasked with caring for our children and preparing them for this world for the day we no longer can do so. Mm-hmm. When we are no longer here, if I lived forever, then I wouldn't care that mm-hmm. about any of that stuff. I would go outside, I'd let him do whatever he needed to do and I would protect him forever from police, from bad educators, from bad healthcare workers, from all of that. Mm-hmm. I would take care of him. He would need to have to try to find a job that he would have to try to mask at so he can keep that job so he can feed himself so he can have insurance. I wouldn't have to need, I wouldn't have to do all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I would just take care of him whole life because I never died. Mm-hmm. I never got old. I never died. I just took care of him. But that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. And so you have parents who have to try to prepare their child for the day they can't do it at the capacity that they are at now and for the day when they're no longer here yeah and so that is where a lot of the frustration for me comes in when there are a lot of non-parents who talk too much mm-hmm. and I'm, and I and it's just like you gotta stop yeah because there's a lot of things they're not fully understanding that they're not fully navigating that they that they don't get they're not navigating the systems that we have to, not as a person who doesn't have children. You might be navigating some systems, mm-hmm. but you're not navigating the ones we have to. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out school systems. We have to figure out healthcare systems. We have to figure out therapists. We have to figure out police. We have to figure out all of that stuff, wills, special needs trust, um, who will take care of when they're gone, Medicaid waivers, all of these different things. Mm-hmm that they don't fully understand and all of the things that, all the decisions and things that we have to make as parents. And then at the same time, I'm autistic. So then I understand a lot of where they're coming from mm-hmm. as well. And so a lot of times those needs and those thoughts, they, um, they contradict each other a lot. They, 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 they clash. You know, but I've figured out a way to try to make them work together. And then that's kind of how I do with my with with, with my advocacy is is take all those things that we clash at where I where I wanna wanna butt heads with the parent in me, with the with the autistic in me, and just kind of like fight it out. And I take those and I try to find a way to to, to have them work together. And then I try to figure out a way to, to show everyone else that it can work. We can work together. We can get to a space where we can all live together harmoniously yeah. and work together and, and make this world a better place for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the parent, 
for the child, for the autistic adult, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I think that's great. One of the things is, I personally believe you get a lot of. I'm of the camp of I'm an autistic person doesn't have kids, and oftentimes because I work with Stacy and a large amount of our audience towards parents, I'm often in a position where I'm talking to parents, even though I don't have kids. I think a large part of the issue is a lot of autistic advocates on social media, they come, a lot of them who are really hard on parents, they come from really messed up households where their parents had issues. And oftentimes, the funniest part is they'll always say, well, neurotypicals do this. And then they describe their parents. And what they're describing is like several undiagnosed mental illnesses. As Mm -hmm. someone who comes from a household where my dad was basically a walking DSM, like (laughs) I I know like what crazy sounds like for for lack of a better word. So I think some (laughs) of it, some of it is that where they had a really bad experience. They kind of hate parents and they've, they're have they so lost in their trauma. They've lost the ability to put themselves. I always try to do that when I'm speaking with Stacy to, to parents she works with and our listeners is to put myself in their shoes, even though I don't have kids. I put myself in my dad's shoes and what, because he was single dad, my mom died when I was young and what was like raising me by himself, dealing with all of his stuff. And that's mm-hmm. how I'm able to sort of have some nuance to my discussion that's a big thing um yeah but I, uh, stacy is there anything since, since you're you're the parent person so before i i shift again is there anything you want to jump in here no i i i want to say thank you for sharing um because i i love stories as well and i think stories help people understand perspective um and so all of those who are listening to this episode i encourage you to rewind that segment and listen to that again, because I do think that just the experience of divulging your identity as an autistic person prompts someone to get a social worker and all of a sudden you're an unfit potential mom who is mentally unstable, right? And so people don't know that that happens, right? People, and it it, it ties right into the, you know, the whole intersectionality in terms of People don't know what happens behind the scenes to their Black coworkers or Black peers at college when we're all called into a room and given a new rule and the white students were not called into a room, but the white students didn't even know that people were called into a room, so they don't know that there's something going on. And so I, you know, and and you were saying, you know, how do you get people to understand that? And, And so I tell stories and I tell people stories about things that have happened that they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that happened. Like, I mean, I literally had, and I consider myself to be a very good speech therapist. Um, And I was taken off of a case at school because a white parent did not want their child to have a black speech therapist, which was her loss. Her loss, because I was really, I'm really good at what I do when it comes to kids. Um, And I didn't even... I said, well, I guess give me more time to work with my other kids because that's her loss. Um, but it was, those are the things that happen that people don't know that are happening, right? Because they don't have that experience as a black professional, a therapist. Um, yeah. So that's why we need to have those conversations that make us uncomfortable. And, and I will just, I will also just finish off with saying the uncomfortable conversations, I think, also has a lot to do with maybe 
how you're raised and whether your family promoted uncomfortable conversations. Um, I grew up in New Orleans, which was, from my perspective growing up, very diverse. So we talked about race very openly. So for me, talking about race has never been a big deal. But for a lot of people that I've met, that wasn't talked about, right? And so now they're really, really uncomfortable as adults talking about it. And it needs to be talked about. All right. Okay. Well, the last thing I want to shift to, because we've already ballooned. We normally keep these episodes around 45 minutes or the length of a long trip to the potty. But <laughs> the stuff you were saying was so dope. Yeah. That I, I, I messaged Stacy halfway through this. I was like, I'll let this balloon to significantly larger. But the last thing I want to pivot to, uh, Tiffany, is you're doing, you say about 10% of the stuff of the advocacy you do is online. And I know you've sort of alluded to a lot of stuff you do offline. Uh, would you care to talk about? I'm not sure if some of it you're at liberty to talk about. Would you care to talk about? some of the stuff you do that's not just posting on Instagram and stuff? Because I, I know you, you have a lot of, of irons in the fire. <laughs> yeah, some of it I can't talk about yet, but I can't wait until I can. So, <laughs> so um, but a lot of things that I've done is I have worked with various organizations in the last year or so with um, coming up with different webinars, seminars, um, courses, like creating different courses to, that would that they use to help train police departments. Um, and I plan on doing more of those this year. Um, I've also, I'm working with someone else to present something to Congress here in Texas to uh, have a program, much like the one that's in California, that would pay caregivers to stay home, to care for their loved ones who are disabled. Because right now they don't have anything like that in Texas. Um, so right now we're in our research phase, collecting um, all the information and things that we can on the one that's in California. And um, I think a few other states might do it. Um, going to present that to my, well, I moved across the state, so now I got a new legislator. But <laughs> work on presenting it to, to my, my local legislator here. I'm hoping that that is something that will, you know, grow some wings and take off um, because our system is so taxed here that like we have Medicare waiver, um, yeah, Medicaid waiver lists that are, are thousands and thousands long. Like my, my son has been on it since he was three and he is still number 17,000 something. Yeah. Um, and that's just a list. Mm -hmm. that and doesn't your, even and your son's a teenager now, right? For, for context. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's 14. My youngest has been on the list since he was six and he's like number 20,000. And that's just a list. Like you could come up your number come up, they call your number, and then they can evaluate you and say, you don't need these services. Mm -hmm. And then you have nothing. So these are supposed to be services and things that they're supposed to get once they age out. So this mm -hmm. is around 22. That, that they're not going to be coming up for that at age 22. They'll still be on that list. Um, there are a lot of families here that are living well below the um, 
income or amounts that they would need to, to live decently. And that is because one parent has to stay home or they might be a single parent and they just don't have enough SSI um, to care for these families. So we want to try to introduce a program that would help them pay for the caregiver to stay home. And if they're at home, they're not in the system. Even, you know, using those resources, using that, those funds, using those. So it's like, that is something that I feel like we need to, to, to work on more. I want to work more with, um, uh, work more with police departments. That's, that, that, that's my, my, my biggest thing right now. I did, I, I did a few courses with a few organizations, local ones last year, and I want to do more of that, but more on a bigger scale. Um, I'm writing a kid's book. So I'm excited about that, uh, you know, and uh, I never thought I would be doing a children's book at all. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. And um, there's no, oh, I can't tell you the other stuff, but I can't wait to like, <laughs> I was like, hey, there's other stuff, but I can't wait till I can. I'm excited about everything um, that I have going on. I'm working on, I'm going to do a course that's similar to the one, uh, one that I did last year, but I'm going to offer it to my audience because a lot of them ask me about building community mm-hmm. and the concept of community and building like community building. And so that's something that is incredibly like super important to me. And so I'm going to put together something that will help them that expands on the ebook that I put out about social media activism but like build on that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that I'll have that ready by like May or something. But yeah, I got so, a lot of things going on. <laughs> when, whenever the stuff you can't talk about yet, whenever you can, you'll definitely are more than welcome to come back on the podcast because yeah. we, we would we would love to have you. So <laughs> we're about to wrap this up. So if people want to follow you, uh, where can they follow you? I am on... Facebook at Fidgets and Fries, um, searchable. I'm on Instagram at Fidgets, period, and period, fries. There's little dots in the middle. Um, I have a Patreon, and it's donation-based, and there's no tiers. I mean, there's tiers, but it's no tiers. Like, everybody has access to everything, regardless of if you're paying a dollar a month or if you're paying 50 a month. It doesn't matter. Um, everybody has access to the same thing. So I have a Patreon. Um, I have a really active community there and there's a Discord and they all talk to each other and we have monthly Zoom meetings, which I'm super excited about. I love those. And um, I write them letters. <laughs> so oh that's fun. And I mail them out. So they they, they like those. Um, those are the main places you can, you can find me now. I was, I'm working on a website. It's not done yet. So... <laughs> Well, I I will say, Tiffany, my experience, and and I'm not saying that no one should have a website, but people are just not accessing websites. They are all on social media. Like, That's why I haven't watched it yet, really. I'm just like, it's there. And then I'm just like, I keep going on it. I work on it a little bit each week. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just like, but I just still I basically use Stacey's website to link the podcast on Twitter. That's that's essentially... (laughs) <laughs> it's really um it's tough i mean even for clients sometimes people say oh you know can i just you know sign up 
here on Facebook, I'm like, no, I have a website with like services. Click the button. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning. They don't like to leave, <laughs> leave where they're at. Remember that commercial with the girls like with the puppies and like her parents were out having a good time. And she's like, I'm living on Facebook. I'm like, people are literally living on social media. Like <laughs> no one is like living outside of social media. Um, yes, oh, it has been such a delight, <laughs> Tiffany. Um, and is there anything else yeah. you'd like to say before we go? Uh, no, I'm just happy to be on and talk to you guys. And this was great. <laughs> no, and we're happy to have you. So yes. guys, if you want to follow the podcast, follow us on the Hellbird app at shift at shifting autism. You can follow Stacy at Autism Sage. You can follow me at TK underscore Aspie. You can follow Stacy on Instagram at Everything Autism. And you can follow me on Instagram at Autistic underscore author. And I think we're ready to, to, to bring this home. Thank you, Tiffany, for being on. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy. Thank you. We learned so much. I think the people who listen learned a lot. Yes. Yes. Thank you. See ya.